Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We're in Joel chapter 2, so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Joel. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, please raise your, raise your Bible. Raise your hand. <laughs> raise your Bible and we'll loan it to somebody else. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you want to raise your hand, we'll get you one to, if anyone needs one. That's awesome when people don't need Bibles because they all have them. That's, that's cool. That, you know, what, you know the, the church of the future, they'll be handing out like iPads or something, right? You know, we have an iPad, you know, for... Actually, that's what I'm using, so... <laughs> all right. Joel chapter 2 begins there with verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at, for it is at hand. Blow the trumpet in Zion. That might have been a, a verse that you've heard before or a phrase that you've heard before. Trumpets are used many times in the Bible. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, trumpets sounded, calling the children of Israel to assemble at the base of Mount Sinai. That's where they received the Ten Commandments. It was a very terrifying time for the children of Israel. The book of Numbers, chapter 10, uh, trumpets were to sound an alarm. It was, a, it was basically a call to go to war against the enemy. It was also for announcing feast days and the beginnings of new months. And when they offered burnt and peace offerings, they, these trumpets would blast. And was also announcing when the tribes of Israel in the wilderness were to break camp and head out. So the, the trumpets are used for a lot of purposes in the Bible. When we get to the New Testament, there's even some more trumpets. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about the trumpet of God. And it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with, them clou- with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He's, he's speaking of the rapture of the church. And then Revelation 8, During the great tribulation, angels are going to be sounding trumpets. Uh, each of them announcing uh, one of the trumpet judgments during the Great Tribulation. And then in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 24, Jesus is talking about uh, the last days, and he, and he talks about the trumpet blast when the angels are to gather the elect from the four winds uh, from one end of heaven to the other. So throughout the Bible, trumpets are blasting. Well, in this case, here in Joel, the trumpet is to sound an alarm. That's the purpose for it here. What is the trumpet warning about? It's warning about the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. Now, if you read Joel chapter 1, or if you were here before, they had just gone through a locust invasion that completely devastated all vegetation there. And, and, and so... Um, Joel, this is a beautiful opportunity. You know, this disaster has happened. People are wondering, why did this happen? You know, they're, they're, they're hungry. They're, they're searching for answers. And now Joel has a perfect answer. And he's like, well, this is a picture. The day of the Lord is coming. And it's going to be a lot more terrible than this. It's going to be a lot more devastating. What will it be like? Well, verse 2, he says, A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. Now, for the Hebrew readers, you know, the, the people that are listening to Joel or reading this, right away they start thinking about Mount Sinai. 
when the trumpets blasted. And, and uh, they were there, and it says there in Exodus 19, verse 16, it says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. The last days are going to be a terrifying time during the tribulation. Verse 2 continues, A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over the mountaintops, they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array, before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They, claim, uh, they, climb, like, uh, excuse me, they climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Now, they've have a a vivid picture of this because they've just endured this locust invasion where the locusts basically clouded out the sun. People that have gone through those kind of swarms of locusts, the sky gets dark. It's like a thunderstorm coming through. And uh, notice the description there. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but after them it's devastation. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. Their noise is like the noise of chariots. They are like a strong people set in battle array. I mean, these are all picturesque descriptions reminding the people of what they've just endured. And what basically what Joel is saying, hey, you think this was terrible, the ultimate day of the Lord, which is what I think he's referring to, is going to be much more terrifying. Because I believe now Joel is looking to the ultimate fulfillment of this, during the Great Tribulation. Now, there have been northern, there have been armies that have attacked Israel, and it's been, you know, people of, it depends on what commentary you go to, who says, well, I think it's this or that. But I believe Joel is talking about the ultimate fulfillment during the Great Tribulation. During that time, there's been, there will have been two witnesses that God sent to tell the people of earth. The church has been raptured by this time, and these two witnesses are, are telling the world to repent. And instead of repenting, they kill him. And then they rejoice, and it's like Christmas time. They're so glad that this, the, these two witnesses are dead. In Revelation chapter 8, there's an angel flying through the midst of heaven, proclaiming with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And they don't repent. And so God sends his wrath on a Christ repenting world. Now, Joel could be describing, because it sounds very similar to Revelation chapter 9, the fifth trumpet judgment. Let me read this to you. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and the smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. 
And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Can you imagine that? Wanting to die, wanting to, to, to finally be relieved of the suffering, and you can't die. Uh, terrible. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. This is during the Great Tribulation. These, these demonic, locust-like creatures are going to ascend out of the pit, and they're going to torment men for five months, and they, they won't be able to die. They, they, they'll, just be, they'll just be in torment during this time. Is it because God wants to torment people? No, it's because they've completely rejected every chance to repent and to turn from their sin. This could be what Joel is talking about. Verse 11. The Lord, goes before, uh, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? During the great tribulation, things are going to be so bad. It's like, how can anybody endure this? Jesus said it's going to be a time like no other time has ever been before it, nor ever will be after it. In fact, he says in Matthew 24, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved, would be saved. But for the elect save, they will, uh, those days will be shortened. The elect in this case is the, is the Jewish people. When God starts dealing with, with Israel once more during the tribulation, Jeremiah prophesied of that great day of the Lord in, in chapter 30, verse 7. He says, Alas! For that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. That's the time, that seven years when, when God is dealing once more with the nation of Israel. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. But it says, but he'll be saved out of it. And Paul spoke of that in Romans eleven twenty six when he says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Well, it says here, the Lord gives voice before his army. Why are they his army? Doesn't that make you wonder, why are they his army? Well, it's because he sent them for a reason. Look at Joel 2, verse 12. Now, therefore, so he's spoiling all this. Now, therefore, he says, uh, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. 
The purpose of chastisement is to get us to repent of our sins. This is, this is what Joel is saying. Hey, you guys, you need to repent. You need to turn back to the Lord. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now, in those days, it was a common thing to do. You, you'd rip your clothing, and that was a sign that you were just so in pain and mourning. And, and, and God says, don't, don't do the outward show of repentance. Don't go through the motions of repentance. Repent from your heart. Tear your heart. Have your heart, have your heart be broken. Not, I don't need the external stuff. And so often that's what we do, right? We go through the motions of repentance, hoping that that will please God. And that he wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be completely humbled and broken before him. Verse 13 continues. He says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. And who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. You know who, what this is quoting from? This is quoting from the Old Testament. This is how God revealed himself to Abraham. Abraham said, God, I just want to see your glory. And, and God says, no man can see my glory. But, but he said, if, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And, and, and so he, he, he kind of covered Abraham, and Abraham saw the backside of God, basically. And he survived it. But during that time, God revealed his name, his nature to Abraham. And he, and he said this, that he's a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger. This is the God of the Old Testament. Some people have this twisted idea that the God of the Old Testament is this God that wants to destroy everybody, and it's just because Jesus kind of like gets in the middle and says, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. Did you know that God loves you so much that he sent his son? It wasn't God's desire to kill anybody. It's God's desire that we all repent of our sins. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But God loves you and I too much to see us remain slaves to sin and to its consequences. And so he's going to bring things into our lives. Sometimes it's very painful things that he's going to bring into our lives, not to punish us, not to, not to, not to destroy us, but he's wanting us to turn back to him, to, re, to, to recognize, man, I'm, I'm heading down the wrong path, and to repent and to turn to him. And now in Joel 2, verse 15, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Here we get another trumpet blast. But this time it says, Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. This is gathering the people together. Instead of a call for alarm, they're assembling. Verse 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Well, who's to gather? The people, the elders, even children and nursing babes, the bride and the bridegroom, the priests, everyone. Now, the bride and the bridegroom, you know, in a Hebrew wedding, they would get married, and, and basically they had a honeymoon for a year. We had a honeymoon for, I don't know, a couple days. So actually, we never even did really have a honeymoon, did we? My wife's got this look on her face like, yeah, right. We drove out, to, we flew out to California. My parents gave us this, this car. They said, if you come out to California, we'll give you one of our cars. So we flew out there, got a car. And, uh, and then we basically hung out at my mom's house for a while. <laughs> and I thought it was a honeymoon. I mean, it was kind of cool, but uh, 
uh, guys, that's not a honeymoon. I, guess. <laughs> I tried to make it up to her on our 25th, but anyways. <laughs> but, you know, in, in a Hebrew wedding, when, when, when they got married, they, they were to set aside a year. And, and the bride and the bridegroom, you know, they were in their chambers, and he says, hey, hold off the wedding. Come on out. What, what this is a picture of is when it's time to repent, you don't go, you know what, I'll repent later. I'll wait till it's a little convenient. This is like, no, this is the most important thing you need to do right now. Now is the day to repent. Now is the time to repent. Don't put it off. Because you don't know if you have it another day to do it. Even the priests, everyone, were to, to gather together. What are they to do? Well, first of all, they're to sanctify themselves. That word sanctify means putting oneself or another into a state of holiness to the Lord. That's basically talking about repentance. Repentance is turning away from sin and then turning to the Lord. They're to sanctify themselves, putting them in a state of holiness to the Lord. And then to weep. Instead of offering this external sacrifice, offering a sacrifice of tears. In other words, being sorry for your sin. Recognizing that you've, you've offended a holy God. A lot of people are sorry over the consequences of their sin. And, and they should be sorry for the consequences. But what God wants us to get to is the point where we actually are, are, are grieving the fact that we've offended him. That's what he wants. And then he says, spare your people. To ask God to spare you acknowledges that you deserve the punishment for your sin. You're you're just asking, you're pleading the Lord for his mercy because you recognize, I don't deserve his mercy. I've I've done done this sin. You're agreeing with God. You're confessing, I've done this thing. I admit it. And now I deserve your punishment, but I'm pleading for your mercy. And God's revealed himself to be a merciful God. Spare your people. You know, when we're praying, it's a reminder to you and I that we were bought with a price. The Bible says that your life is not your own. Once you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to the Lord. You're his people. And it says, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? It's not only that you want to be spared from the consequences of your sinful actions, but you also want to bring discredit to the name of the Lord. Lord, I've, I've, I've given my witness. People know that I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't want your name to get sullied, Lord God. Please forgive me. Please change my life. I don't want to destroy a witness for you. And when we truly repent, when we repent from our heart, man, I tell you, the Father is zealous to restore us to fellowship. He wants fellowship with you and I. And he wants to renew his blessings for his people as well. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back towards the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Now, 
Is this talking about the locust invasion that they just endured? Well, you know, historically the locusts come from the deserts south of Israel, from Arabia, Egypt, and Libya. So I think Joel, again, is, is looking to later fulfillments. Was it the Assyrians? Maybe. Was Babylonians? Maybe. The Romans? Maybe. Ultimately, it is going to be the Antichrist and his armies that are going to come from the north. Or he could also, again, be talking about those demonic locusts, that he's going to destroy them. You know, it also did have that nearer fulfillment. I mentioned the Assyrians. There was a time when Hezekiah was king over Judah. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, invaded Israel and he surrounded Jerusalem. He was going to siege Jerusalem. That's where they cut off all the supplies so that nothing gets in, nothing gets out. And basically you starve the people to death until the point where they're so weakened. Then you just come in there and you can, you can go in there and plow them over. You know, that reminds me of fellowship. A lot of times we, we kind of get out of fellowship and we're, we're, we're isolated by ourselves cut off from anyone who can hold us accountable, anyone who can encourage us, anyone who can pray for us. And we're in this little thing, and and we get weaker and weaker and weaker, and pretty soon the enemy can just take us. Well, Hezekiah cried out to the Lord for mercy. You know what God did? It says this in 2 Kings 19, verse 35. It says, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Man, God just took care of their enemies, completely wiped them out. There's a battle uh, in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 38 and 39. And uh, I don't think it's describing the battle of Armageddon because uh, just because of some of the scriptures in there talks about the fact that uh, there's going to be pestilence. God's going to send pestilence, great flooding rains, hailstone, fire and brimstone, and he's going to wipe out this northern army, this coalition of armies that are going to come and trying to attack Israel. And it says it's going to take seven months to bury the dead and seven years to burn all the weapons that are left on the battlefield for fuel. God's going to fight for Israel during this time. And I don't know if that happens before the tribulation or, or after. I'm not sure. Or during it. I'm not sure. But God's going to reveal himself in a mighty way to Israel. And then, of course, we have the battle of Armageddon, where Antichrist and his forces are going to come against Jerusalem in the, at the Valley of Megiddo, and God's going to wipe them out. And it's going to, the whole, it says the whole valley is going to be filled with blood. God's going to fight those battles. Verse 21, Joel chapter 2. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Now, I think part of this, Joel is comforting the people of Judah who had just endured this locust invasion in chapter 1. Say, you know, everything's devastated, but God's going to restore it once more. He's going to restore the land. He's going to restore the former rains and the latter rains. That's talking about the rains that come in April and in October. In other words, he's going to replenish the land. You know, it's an amazing thing. When Jesus went into um, Jerusalem on what we celebrate Palm Sunday, 
And later on, he weeps over the city. And he says, if you had only known this, this your day. But you hadn't. And, and, and then he predicts how the Romans were going to destroy Jerusalem because they, they rejected Christ. And so for over 2,000 years, the land of, of Israel, they changed the name to Palestine. It was just a desolate place with Bedouins living basically around in the area. And then, of course, you guys know the story. In 1948... Israel once more became a state, a miracle of miracles. I mean, what other nation, what other culture, you know, comes back into existence with its coins, with its culture, with its religion, with, with everything intact, its language, everything intact, after being basically dead for 2,000 years? That's a miracle. And look at the land of Israel. It went from a barren, desolate land to a fertile, well-irrigated land. It's amazing how God's blessed it. But you know what? That's just a foretaste of what's going to happen at the millennium. When God is going to ultimately, this is ultimately going to be fulfilled. The land is going to be restored to like the Garden of Eden. The animal kingdom is going to be, they're no longer going to be against people. The spiders won't be trying to kill us on the stage anymore. I have a fear of spiders, so I was glad somebody killed them. (laughs) I shouldn't be talking about killing spiders, but that's all right. Um, but it's going to have its ultimate fulfillment at the millennium. The, the land's going to be restored. The animal kingdom's going to be restored. And the children of Zion, the Jews, are going to recognize Jesus as their Savior. And they'll be saved as well, the remnant that's left. Verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Again, going back to this, this locust invasion in chapter 1, all these locusts or the life stages of these locusts have completely devastated the land. And Joel's encouraging them, hey, God's going to restore what these locusts destroyed. And that devastation in our lives, which if we have to be honest, it's, it's caused by our own sin. And then he chastises us. If we repent, he'll restore us. He'll restore those things that were taken from us. God wants to bless us when our hearts are right with him. Verse 28, 6. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has done wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. He says, and it shall come to pass afterward. Well, after what? Well, I think he's looking at this locust invasion of chapter 1 and the restoration of the land, and he's looking beyond that after that to the time of the new covenant. Because under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's Spirit would fall, but it would only fall on certain individuals. 
Some of the judges, God, the, the Holy Spirit would fall on them. Samson, the Holy Spirit would fall on him. And he would do mighty things for the Lord. But then the Holy Spirit would leave him. David, same thing. Saul, same thing. There's all these different people that the Holy Spirit fell upon. That was under the old uh, covenant. But under the new covenant, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now would fall upon all believers in Jesus Christ. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. He comes upon you. He indwells you, and he's never to leave you. You know, that outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, it wasn't just limited to the upper room in Jerusalem. Some, some Christians, they look and they go, wow, man, that was an awesome time, but it's, things are different now. It's really not. You know, when that happened in Pentecost, the people in Jerusalem, they were all these different people gathered there from all different places because it was the time of the Passover. And, and all of a sudden, they hear all this noise going on, and they hear this commotion. They're like, what's going on? And, and they're going over to find out what's happening. And here they, they hear the, the apostles, the disciples. They're all praising the Lord in different tongues. And people hear them speaking in their own languages, the mighty things of God. And, the, and some people go, wow, <laughs> these guys are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning. <laughs> but he says, you know, this is what was Joel had prophesied. And he, and he quotes this passage in Joel. And it says that the people, they were cut to the quick. And they said, well, what must we do? In verse 20, uh, 38 of chapter 2 in Acts, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's a promise from the Lord. You know, you and I are afar off and God's called us all these how many generations since then and that promises to us as well that outpouring of the Holy Spirit described in Joel and experienced uh, described in Joel and experienced at Pentecost is available for you and me as well one of the things that the Lord's laid on my heart here at Calvary Chapel Rochester is to start and I'm going to be we're going to be starting in the fall this the next few weeks are just so jam-packed and I'm waiting till those are over but we're going to start on a Sunday evening once a month, just coming to whoever wants to. It's not going to be an official service, but just whoever wants to, we're going to gather here, and we're just going to seek the Lord and just seek the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. If you've ever been in an afterglow service, that's basically what we're going to be doing here. Because it's available for you and I, that complete filling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop there and uh, pick up uh, Joel chapter 3 next week. But I want to just encourage you this morning. You know, the Lord God, he does allow things to happen in our lives. And some of those things, it's, it's when he's chastising us, are painful. But they're for a reason. And the reason is not to punish. The reason is to get you and I to repent of our sins. And if there's something in your heart that you're hanging on to, man, the Lord wants your heart. He doesn't want you to go through the outward motions of coming here or acting like, you know, everything's good. He wants you to just just give him your heart. Just just pour it out to him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. Man, he he'll cleanse you. He'll restore you. 
What a beautiful gift that we have. And, 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 and it's something, it's, we'd be fools to pass something like that up. Because God wants to restore you. He loves you so much. Why don't you stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer.